And now, if you're able to, would you please stand for the reading of the Word? And we have a special person, Blake's wife, Chantel. Our first reading today comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only with their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And our second reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may have a seat. Good morning to you. Uh, how many of you can relate to this? My first job uh, for pay was mowing lawns and babysitting the kid next door. Anybody in that? Anybody relate to that? Yeah, yeah. And then at, I think, age 14, my mom found me a job. It was at a car wash. And my job was to jump in the back seat, spray the windows, wipe them down, while someone else jumped in the front seat and pulled the car up about 15 feet. And then I'd jump out and run to the next car and jump in and wash the windows. And that just happened for about 10 hours straight. I had one break, and the, the boss bought me a sandwich, and they paid me cash at the end of the day. I'm pretty sure there were some labor laws broken in that <laughs> arrangement. I'm not really sure. But when I was 16 then, I, I worked for this new concept that came out. It was called a mall. It was, it was a bunch of stores under one roof, and I got $1.25 an hour, yeah, for working at La Petite Cafe, where I, had hot, I served hot dogs and ice cream and that sort of thing. Um, then as, of course, the years went by, I worked on assembly lines in factories. I managed a college commissary that fed 1,200 students. I, was, uh, I, drove a, I drove a garbage truck. I drove a school bus. I was a forest firefighter in Alaska. Um, I was a short order cook. I worked in a magic shop. I was a writer, just to mention a few. <laughs> now, I share that for context because today we're going to talk about real relationships in the workplace. And I don't know why, but a lot of people think pastors are born pastors. Like in the delivery room, when you come out, they say, hey, it's a healthy little boy. What, you, what are you going to call him? How about reverend? Oh, okay. But that's not how it is. We all work lots of different jobs. What about you? What's your job like? What's your career like? What kind of occupation do you have? That's what we want to talk about today. 
The average American works 35 plus hours a week. Listen to this, if you're in management or you carry a cell phone that's work related, then your hours go up to about 13 hours a day plus five hours on the weekend. Now, add your sleeping hours and you don't have many hours left to do the rest of your life. And if you're a Christian and go to church, you're, you're encouraged to attend church services, have a rigorous personal study time, be in a small group, serve in some capacity. So if you're planning on binge watching something on Netflix, I'm sorry, there's nothing left over for that. Since our jobs consume so much of our energy and time, as a Christ follower, we have to make a very important decision whether or not we're going to integrate our faith into our work week. Either our faith will be confined to a one-hour worship session like this, or maybe a few other little activities at church and at home, or we will fully embrace and integrate our faith into the work week, therefore saying, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, mind, and occupation. So today we're finishing up this series called Real Relationships. Since we live in a world of virtual everything, we wanted to raise the bar on authenticity and reality in our relationships. The Bible teaches us that we should practice the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, with respect, with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Or as Ryan taught us, treat others the way that Jesus has treated you. That's a great golden rule. The world says, you better do it to others before they do it to you, but that's not how we roll. We, we talked in the series about real relationships between genders. The Bible teaches mutual respect and care between male and female, like brothers and sisters. Just think how American culture would change if we followed the biblical model of gender attitudes and actions, gender confusion, sexual predators, the Me Too movement, pornography, all those things would go away. We could have a world of purity and dignity. We talked about relationships between generations, that younger people should respect older people like me, and that older people should turn their turn signal off when they're driving. Come on. <laughs> we talked about the most important relationships of all, which is vertical. And all your horizontal relationships are affected by your vertical one. We need to have a real relationship with God, not phony, not pharisaical. Fake faith is of no interest to God. So today we want to talk about what the Bible says in relationships we have in the workplace. Work is something our God embraces. Uh, he worked as creator to create the world. He has titles like uh, shepherd and king. Um, he's at work today. He made you in his image, so expect to work. When he created Adam, he put him right to work in the Garden of Edom. Jesus was a carpenter, followed by some men who were fishermen. Uh, the gospel was spread in the first century by a tent maker. I mean, work is part of God's plan. So, how do we bring our faith to work so that our walk with God is not only on Sunday, but also nine to five all week long? And, and how do we have our relationships on the job follow the golden rule? So we're going to look at two parallel passages. We heard them already from Ephesians and Colossians, written by a tent maker, motivational speaker, uh, church planner, Paul, who knew how to do a day's work. Ephesians and Colossians. Here's the one in Colossians. Colossians 3.22 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, 
but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And here's the bottom line today. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's what you want to learn. It is Christ that I work for. But let's start with that very first word and define that. The very first word is slave. It's the Greek word doulos. Say that would be doulos. It means slave, servant. Now, slave is a negative term in America for obvious reasons, but in the first century context and economic culture that this is written, a servant slave was part of the family, but not with the same privileges as sons and daughters. They were owned by the master, and they had a job to do, cook, clean, work the land, whatever the master wanted. This was not a free person who could do what they want. The issue then in these new churches is that both slaves and masters were coming to Christ and then attending the same fellowship or worship celebration like this. And so Paul was concerned that they would practice their faith there in the church community, but then when they got home, they'd go back to their old ways. So that's why both these letters, Ephesians and Colossians, the first half's theology, but the second half talks to the husbands, the wives, the kids, the parents, the slaves, and the masters. You, Paul is trying to say, you've got to live your faith wherever you are in every situation and in every context. And he doesn't tell them to create a union or to break free or to preach and go on a mission. He tells them to do their job with faith. Now, I don't know what your official job title is at your work. I'm pretty sure it's not slave. You know, that's not embroidered on your shirt, I don't think. But how many of you feel like it is? You know, have you ever felt like a slave to your job? Used by the powers that be? Enslaved to the grind until maybe retirement will set you free? You ever caught yourself humming Dolly's song? Working nine to five, just trying to make a living while you do your job. Unless you are independently wealthy, you can easily hear Paul's admonition and transfer it to your workplace. Masters and slaves, okay, bosses and employees. So when you read this, you need to insert your title here. Employee, trucker, hairdresser, nurse, accountant, florist, fast food worker, engineer, teacher, flight attendant, slave, whatever it is. Write it next to this verse, which says this to you, obey your earthly masters in everything. All right, let me explain what that means. That means do your job. That's what that means. When I was a garbage truck driver, I couldn't just drive around town listen, listen to music. I had to pick up garbage. I had to do my job. When I was working on an assembly line, I couldn't just sit back, read a magazine, let everything go by. I had to assemble things. That was my job. I was actually fired from the magic shop job because I wasn't doing my job. I was learning the magic tricks and entertaining the customers. And I'd get a little, a little group over at the end of the counter and I'd pull a rabbit out of the hat and they'd, oh, that's wonderful. Till the boss pulled me aside and said, hey, I hired you to stock shelves and sell product. Now I'm gonna make you disappear. That's a magic shop, you know. And I lost my job. Then it says, do your job not only when their eye is on you or to curry their favor. Do your job even if the boss isn't around. That's what this is saying. If your supervisor steps out, it's not time to play Candy Crush or check Facebook. Do your job. Not just, and I like this, here's my air quotes for the day, 
curry their favor. That's kind of a cleaned up way of saying something we don't say in, in church. You know, don't kiss their, okay, we won't go there. Basic biblical work ethic is to do your job. Now, here's where faith steps in. Next verse, verse 22. But do your job with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's Lord Christ you're serving. This attitude is how you bring God to work with you. You wouldn't leave your lunch bucket at home. Don't leave God there either. When you bring God to work, you quickly realize that even if your boss isn't watching, the almighty, ever-present God is watching. And therefore, you begin to work for Him. I want to do a good job for Him. I want to be an exceptional employee for Him. Though I'm hired by the company, I'm really serving my heavenly Father. The Lord is my boss. I'll receive my ultimate paycheck and inheritance from Him. That's an I brought my faith to work attitude. Now here, let's read it in the parallel passage in Ephesians. It says this, Obey them, meaning your boss, your supervisor, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves, note that word, of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. Now, notice he used the same word, do loss, about our relationship with Christ. We're not only slaves to our employer, but we are do loss, slaves to Christ. Ultimately, we're serving the Lord, not only our human supervisor, and we're doing God's will, not just the will of our boss. Therefore, listen to what I'm going to say, therefore, you're not simply a cashier. You are a cashier for Christ. You're not a vice principal. You're a vice principal for Christ. You're not a dentist. You're a dentist for Christ. You're not a small business owner. You're a small business owner for Christ. You don't work for AAA. You work for Christ. You don't work for the state. You work for Christ. You're not retired. You still work for Christ. Do you hear that? He's your Lord and Master, and you are His doulos, servant slave. Here's an easy way to sum this up for a work ethic. Um, this integrates life priorities of loving God, loving others, and going to work. Now, let's see how we do in here. There was this Sunday school song from years ago. The people in the traditional service knew it. The people at 9 o'clock were clueless. But anybody here remember the old Sunday school song about Jesus and others and you and that's how you spell joy, J-O-Y, Jesus and others. Oh, good. Thank you, Nancy. I got one. Anybody else remember that? Okay. Well, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but we've adapted that for today, a variation for today. Real relationships on the job, J-O-B, spells Jesus and others and business. Jesus is first and foremost because we ultimately work for Him. He is our master. He doesn't live in the church. He lives in us, so we bring him to work. Others, because real relationships have to happen in a work environment. This is where we employ the golden rule on a daily basis. Surveys show that most people credit work satisfaction, guess what, to the people they work with. When you're treated well on the job, your work satisfaction and productivity go up. You've heard people say, well, if you love your job, you won't work a day in your life. 
You know, if you love the people you're working with, you won't want to ever leave. And then business, Jesus and others, and then business. Of course, we've got to get the work done, but not by putting our faith aside and mistreating the people around us. The world says the bottom line is profit. Now, the business is why we're in business. And you've heard people justify mistreatment by saying what? Nothing personal. It's just business. It's not a petting zoo. It's Shark Tank. But the biblical approach turns that attitude on its head. Because if we put business first, which is the way of the world and the temptation to us, we will leave God and faith back at church somewhere and we will find ourselves using people to get the task accomplished and the business done. And to have a biblical work ethic at your work place of employment, it has to be Jesus is honored first, others will be treated well, and then I'll get the business done in that order. Now, here's a memo for us this morning. With that in mind, a memo from HR. HR stands for His Relationships. Okay? Here's the first one. Incorporate spiritual habits at work. Incorporate spiritual habits at work. You know, people in the Bible all worked, and they practiced their faith while they labored. Uh, David was a shepherd. Daniel and Joseph were government officials. Joshua was in the military. Bezalel was a construction worker. Luke was a doctor. Lydia was a seller of purple. And when they did their work, they also prayed and cared and pastored and contributed. Now, most notably today in our world, Chick-fil-A uh, practices those things. Uh, they're, they're closed today. You know why? Because they want their employees to go to church and worship. They very clearly put Jesus and others before business. But not many of us work at Chick-fil-A, do we? So how can we incorporate spiritual habits at our work? Well, here's the first one, and it's very easy. You can pray. Nobody can keep you from praying. Pray for your job, your attitude, your productivity, for your coworkers, for your boss. I have a friend who, uh, we were talking about our devotional times, and he said, yeah, he said in the morning, it's crazy at my house, getting the kids off to school, making lunches, all that stuff. He said, so what I do is I go to work a half an hour early, and I back my truck into this, my favorite little parking spot, and I have my Bible on my coffee, and that's my time with the Lord. And I spend time with him, and I talk to him about my job and what's going on. I talk to him about my boss, and I pray for my attitude, and I read my Bible, and, and then I walk into work, and I'm ready to go because he's employed a spiritual discipline into the workplace. You know, your workstation can be your worship station if you just stop and every now and then say, thank you, God, for this job. I'm so pleased that I'm employed and help me to do my job well. You can pastor your coworkers. You can give from your earnings. You can incorporate spiritual habits at work. Now, here's the second thing. Do a quality job. Not just do your job, but do it with excellence. That's the essence of what Paul is teaching here. Don't do sl sloppy or lazy work, but do it with sincerity of heart, with all your heart. Now, any of you reading, the, any of you have the King James Version with you? I love the, this verse in the King James. It says this. It says, whatever ye do, do it heartily. I just love that word because it sounds like a pirate, doesn't it? <laughs> heartily, matey, let's swab the deck. Heartily, matey. Wait a minute. I love it. Now, I'm finishing up eight years of ministry here at Christ Community. In fact, this is my very last sermon, the very last one. And, uh, you know, this could have been a little part-time job for me, but I wanted to do it heartily. I put my heart into it. 
You know, I didn't have to write weekly devotionals or publish books or lead mission trips or take tours of the Holy Land or bring grief share to our church or host marriage conferences, which I hope you're signing up for in June, or sponsor huge events. I didn't have to do all that stuff, but I wanted to do a quality job and serve my master with excellence. I wanted to do it heartily. Hey, diddly dee, the pastor's life for me, you know? <laughs> What's it look like in your workplace, though? How do you do that in your workplace? I had uh, an experience of quality work done for me at Home Depot recently. I had, some of you know, I had surgery a little while back, and the doctor said, you can't pick up more than five pounds, which is basically everything, you know? And we needed to replace a toilet in our house. So I went to Home Depot, and of course, it, the box was up there. This is a big box. It's up on the top. And I'm pretty sure it was more than five pounds. So I had to find help. You ever try to find help at Home Depot? <laughs> hello, hello, hello. I need some help, 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 help. So I wandered around. I finally found a guy in the little vest, and I said, excuse me, sir, I need some help. I need a toilet. Restrooms are over there. And he walked away. <laughs> It's like, no, I don't need a restroom. I need a toilet, toilet, toilet. You know. And then I heard behind me, can I help you, sir? And I turned around. There was this nice young man with his little vest. And I explained the whole thing. Oh, I had surgery. And I got, you know. He said, let's figure this out. And he went. He found the right, the right toilet. He got the forklift. He took me through checkout. He put it in the car. He followed me home and installed it. No, he didn't do that. But... <laughs> But he was so nice, and he did his job. Well, he didn't just do his job. The, the first guy was probably doing his job. He did his job with excellence. That's the way to be an employee. Number three, employ the golden rule. A positive work environment is essential to your work satisfaction and productivity. Therefore, treat coworkers and administrative staff with the same courtesy and professionalism that you would want to be treated. Do you know what that's called? The golden rule. You know, our staff here this year had to take harassment training so that I wouldn't make sexual advances on my coworkers or make a bunch of racial slurs in the office. I passed. Do you know why? Because I wasn't planning on doing any of that anyway. You know why? because I employ the golden rule in the workplace. Number four, be an influencer. Here's an interesting little story about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus points out something in the crowds and then talks to his disciples. Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I've paraphrased this for your workplace. Here's what it says. Jesus saw your coworkers, and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he turned to you and said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In fact, it might just be you. Ask the Lord of the harvest to empower you in this harvest field, your workplace. Do you see your workplace the way Jesus sees it? Do you see it as a harvest field, a place to be an influence for Christ? You know, many Christians have no non-Christian contacts. And the best place for church people to rub shoulders with the not yet gathered is at work. 
Your workplace is your ministry area. You're the pastor to your office, your school, your coworkers, your colleagues. And some of you will say, well, wait, I, in my workplace, you know, I can't, we can't talk about religion or politics. Well, then don't. You don't need to. You can still be an influence without handing out tracts or preaching in the lunchroom. Listen to what I'm going to say. Your golden rule attitude, quality job performance, and personal character will speak louder than any sermon. Did you hear that? I remember visiting one of my buddies at, a, at, a workplace, at his workplace, and he took me there. We were going to have lunch afterwards, and he wanted to show me around. We walked in. He opened the office, and it was just filled with people. And he smiled at me, and he gestured. He said, welcome to my ministry. Oh, and I happen to work here, too. What a great attitude. He was an influencer of people in the workplace without ever preaching a sermon. Number five. Oh, no, no, no. I had one more story I want to tell. I baptized a dental assistant one time, and I, you know, always have people share with me how they came to know Christ, of course. And I said, well, tell me, how, how did you come to know the Lord? She said, well, I work for a Christian dentist. I said, oh, and he pulled you aside and opened a Bible and went through the gospel with you and prayed with you. And she said, no. I said, well, tell me about it. She said, well, I, I went to work for him, and I, I noticed how he treated his patients. And I noticed how he treated his family and his, and his wife. And most of all, I noticed how he treated me. And there was something different. And I knew he went to church, and I said, hey, can I come to church with you and your family? And she said, after coming to church, I heard the gospel, and I came to receive Christ. That man, that was his ministry, that dentist. He just happened to work there. He was an influence in the workplace. Number five, supervise with care. Now, Paul goes on in both these letters to speak to the masters, not just the slaves. The greatest number of people in the workforce are us slaves, but there's always someone over you, the owner, the president, the CEO, the manager, someone supervises you, somebody signs your paycheck. And if you're someone's boss, you listen to me now, if you're someone's boss or supervisor, you carry a lot of pressure of getting the job done. You've got to get the business taken care of. As a senior pastor for over 25 years in two different churches, um, I did my share of hiring and firing people. There's this tension you carry as the key leader to fill a position, monitor performance, but then minister to the person as well. And Paul knows that masters can inevitably treat slaves poorly, and that hasn't changed much through the years. So he addresses those who supervise. So here's Colossians 4.1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Masters, treat your employees rightly and fairly. Show personal interest in them. Give them proper compensation. Clarify work expectations. Coach them to do their job well. You know, most employees, all they want to know are three things. What's my job? Who do I report to? And how am I doing? If you can just tell them that over and over, they'll be happy. Ephesians 6, 9 says the same thing in the parallel passage. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Masters, you have a master. Boss, you have a boss. God cares about you and your employees equally without favoritism, so you better care for them well as well.
Don't say, oh, it's just business, nothing personal. No, these are persons. It is personal. Care for them. Listen to them. Value them. Encourage them. Be generous to them. One of, a prominent businessman told me this late in his life. He had built his company from the ground up. And through the years to be successful, he, of course, had to fire and fire, excuse me, many people. And he said, it was interesting. When I bring people in to lay them off, it was interesting to see how they reacted. Some of them would just be in shock like a zombie. Some would just get mad. Some would just weep and weep. And I would think, well, this is a weak person. I'm glad I'm letting them go. I don't need weak people in my company. Well, his company grew through the years, and he was very successful, actually, and then he sold his company to kind of an umbrella corporation, and he was to be a resource person, and guess what the first thing they did was? They fired him. <laughs> he said he went home and cried like a baby for a week. He never really thought about the care of the person. If you supervise people, God has given you a wonderful but powerful position to care for them. You're their pastor. Don't take that lightly. Jesus taught his followers, don't be like the leaders of this world who lord it over others, but you be, guess what the word is, do loss. You be a servant, slave, leader to them. Here's the last one, number six, end well. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. The best retirement package ever is heaven. Manage well your finances, plan for the future, but don't put your trust in your 401K. Invest in your walk with God. Invest in the golden rule, and God will, <laughs> and God will take care of you. Make sure it's Jesus and others and business, and you'll receive the full reward, and you'll, and you'll end well. Commander Daryl Simpson of the Monterey County Sheriff's Department is a dear friend of mine. Excuse me. He retired this year, and they did a little ceremony that they recorded on his dash cam. That's how I was able to see it. He sat in his car in his uniform, circled around by his colleagues, and the dispatcher came on and said, uh, Commander Simpson, we want to honor you for your fine years of quality work here at the Sheriff's Department, and they listed off all these accolades. He was the SWAT captain leader. He was a detective for a while. He was a hostage negotiator. He'd saved and rescued people from harm, and they listed all this stuff. And then the dispatcher was quiet, and another voice came on. It was his son. He said, Commander Simpson, I just want to thank you for being a man of God I could always look up to. <laughs> and up till that time, Daryl, my friend, you know, had sat there pretty, you know, pretty calm. But when his son started talking, you could see him going, you know, starting to lose it. Eventually, his son was done, and then he took the radio. And uh, he thanked a bunch of people who were instrumental in his career. And then he said this, remember, keep your spiritual life and your personal life and your professional life in balance. God bless you all. Officer Simpson signing off for the last time. And he hung up the radio. That's how you end well. That's how you keep Jesus and others in business and priority. If you integrate God into every aspect of your life, including your job, and you employ the golden rule wherever you are in whatever context, 
when you get to heaven, you will hear the voice of your master Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful. Anybody want to guess the Greek word? Doulos, servant, slave. I hope this series has been helpful for you in improving your relationships. If you're like me, you realize that you have made some relational mistakes along the way, but you can get better. Um, here's my last story. One, one young man wanted to find out, you know, how do you get to the top? And he thought, well, maybe I'll just call a bunch of heads of companies, see if somebody will give me a few minutes of time. And one of them did. He finally made an appointment. So he went that morning, went to this skyscraper of, <laughs> of a building, got in the elevator, went to the top floor, got off and sat in the, in the waiting room. Finally, the secretary said, you have five minutes. And he walked in, sat in front of this massive desk with the head of the company there, and he said, well, I guess I'll get right to it. I just want to know, how did you become such a, a success? How did you make it to the top? And the head of the company leaned forward and said, I made right decisions. The kid scribbled it down, and he said, well, um, um, how did you learn to make right decisions? He leaned forward, and he said, I made wrong decisions. <laughs> you, know, you and I have made some wrong decisions in our relationships, but you can pivot. God's grace is great enough to cover anything that you've done wrong. And you can look forward and say, now, Lord, help me to learn from those and to treat the people in my life with respect and to bring the golden rule to play so I can have real relationships. I'd like for you just to close your eyes for a minute. And as you do, picture the faces of those you live with. How can you treat them better with love, acceptance, and forgiveness? Picture the faces of your coworkers. How can you bring faith to work and be a pastor and an influencer to them? Picture the faces of those sitting around you right here in church. How can you connect and be an encourager to your church family? What can you do to better employ the golden rule in real relationships? Father, thank you for each person who crosses our path. They may be a different gender or age or race, or they have different opinions, but they have hopes and fears and joys and worries just like we do. So teach us to treat others well like you've always treated us. Empower us to be light in the darkness, hope for the hopeless, full of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Help us to be real in our relationships, always for God's glory. Amen.